I wonder and I want to ask you the question uh, this morning. Have you ever asked that question? You ever been in that kind of a moment where you ask the question, I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs and tales. How will they view me? How will they see me? What will they talk about me in years to come down the road? Um, I actually think youthful dreaming is part of our normal every day. It's part of what we are and um, part of growing up, right? Don't you agree on that topic? Um, I remember as a kid, I remember dreaming about what life is going to be, not what life might be. I remember dreaming about what is life going to be because back when I was young, I used to think life can be whatever I make it. Life can be whatever I want it to be. And if I choose it to be, it's going to be. And so I had these great dreams of what my life was going to turn out to be like, only to grow up. Maybe I shouldn't talk about that. But you grow up and find out that things are quite different. But I think youthful dreaming, I think this kind of talk is, is normal. But there's a danger in it. And the danger is that if we're not careful, then we'll begin to think about and view our lives as a story being written about us. Now, your life is a story. And it has an author. But no matter what you maybe grew up with or grew up thinking, that author is not you. You also are part of a great story, and there's a hero in the story. <laughs> um, can, I, can I just say this out loud? Um, the hero's not you. And I don't want to disappoint you all. But there is this hero in every story, but the hero is not us in our own story. Unfortunately, many of us have a very narrow view and a very self-absorbed view of our lives, going through our normal every day and going through our growing up and going through our already have grown up totally clueless of what's going on around us and, by the way, has been going on around us since the beginning of time. And for most of us, our view of our place in human history is very misunderstood and very misguided and misinterpreted. And I want to say this, it's very short-sighted because we think our story is all about us. And there's something very different going on than our story all about us. That's what we want to talk about and we're going to be talking about in our brand new series that we're launching today called Joseph. A legendary tale. And we're going to be studying the life of Joseph. I'm very excited to get into this because this is, this is great storyline. It's a great narrative. Um, but the legendary tale part of the description of our series has nothing to do with Joseph. It has everything to do with something much bigger than Joseph. And I want you to understand at the onset of all of this that that is the case. Over the next several weeks, we're going to turn our attention to the last 13 chapters of Genesis. So you can go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. Hopefully you have a Bible um, with you that you can turn to the first book of the Bible. All the way to the left in your Bible if you're unfamiliar with navigating your scriptures. But um, Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be starting. And we're going to look at the story of a boy named Joseph who grew into a mighty man of God and was actually used to deliver the instrument of salvation to the entire world. 
How's that for a story? How would, how would you think about your story? How would you think about your life if for some reason God began to show you that your life exists in order to deliver salvation to the entire world? Now, Joseph didn't know that at the beginning here, but this is the realization. This is what we're going to see as we study his life. How cool would that be if that were true of your story and mine, that God had in mind for us to deliver salvation to the entire world. How awesome would that be? That's what we're going to see in Joseph's life. Let's go ahead and start with Genesis 37, verses 1 and 2. And let me just say, before we jump into this, today we're not going into the narrative. We're not going into the story necessarily. What I want to do is give us an overview of how we need to be viewing this story as we work on it for the next several weeks and then apply that to our own lives and our own story, okay? So I'm giving us a big picture and overview of this whole thing. We're going to get into the details of Joseph's story next week. So here we are in Genesis 37. This is the launching of Joseph onto the scene. And it starts like this in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. So Jacob is Joseph's father, and he's living in the land where his, his fathers lived in the land of Canaan. And verse 2 says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock of his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah his father's wives. Now, I just want to stop and say that's kind of weird to me. There's something that is strange about the way this is written. And when I looked at it, I thought, this is just different because these are the generations of, Joseph, of Jacob, Joseph. Now, if you are studying this, the word and studying the whole book of Genesis, you see that some chapters before, there's like the genealogy. There is the, the, the tree, the um, of, of, the, of the life of the God's people and the forefathers and, and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. you got this family tree going on. And so when we get to this, you think, okay, this is great. We're going to see the generations of Jacob. And he starts with Joseph being 17 years old. Now, that wouldn't be a big deal if it was like Joseph is the firstborn, and so we're going to see Joseph and then the next in line. But you got to understand that Joseph in the story is number 11 of 12 sons. And God wants us to know about number 11. And right now, there's nothing very special about number 11. He's just one of 12 boys out in the fields pasturing the flock with his brothers. <clears throat> but here's a crazy fact. I love these facts when I come across them. There is more space given to Joseph's story in the Old Testament than any other Old Testament character. And so what that means to me is that God is hovering over one life. And when he does that and he writes it down, it's because he wants you and me to sit up and take notice that this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to observe in this person's life, and I want you to know this so that you know what honors me and what I, it was honorable to me and what I respect. And so listen up, sit up and listen up and take notice. So my hope is that as we go through this together, you'll come every week or go online every week. And by the way, we don't know what's going to happen next week yet. So we're going to roll this thing out um, because things are changing moment by moment um, and we'll be communicating that to you. But however we continue to do church over the next several weeks as we work on this story, I hope it will be that we will be learners. We'll come with our Bibles open and we'll be hungry to hear what it is that makes God happy. What it is that honors God in the way that we live. Because we're going to learn lessons from the way Joseph lived his life and then try to put that into practice into our own lives. 
So hopefully you'll be into that with us. But I want to draw your attention to two verses that deal with this. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now that's a very interesting passage because that passage is actually written to you and to me. That all of the things that were written about people like Joseph and the things that were written in the past, they're written with a very specific goal in mind, and that is to teach us. To teach us how to apply truth to our life and to observe the endurance and the way that people lived in a glorifying way to God so that we can put that to practice in our own lives and that will in turn give us hope for our future as we look forward. So we not only see the way that God worked in their past of those, of those great men and women of old, but we see how he's working in their present and then we see the end because we get, the, we get to view their whole story at once as we read and that's a benefit to us, not so much for the characters at the time. But we get to see the whole thing unfold and that should bring us hope in our own story. And that's why these things are written to us. Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, the things that happened in the past were written down to warn us and to serve as an example to all of us who live at the end of the age. Guess who that's written to? Guess who these things are written to? You and me. Um, if you're ever wondering before, if we're living at the end of the age, you can just uh, stop wondering. We are living at the end of the age. We are in a time where these things are so vitally important for us to apply to our lives and learn from, and it will actually give us hope. In fact, one pastor wrote this, uh, Pastor Clarence McCartney, in his book, Preaching Without Notes, he wrote this. The Bible is the supreme book on human personality from Adam in Genesis to Satan in the apocalypse. It portraits, its portraits are unforgettable. How fearful and wonderful are man's terrible and glorious capacities and possibilities. It is said that every man's life contains sufficient material for a great novel, and that's certainly true of the life of Joseph. And my friends, on the surface, it seems that we're going to study Joseph's story. But what we will see is that it's not Joseph's story that we're studying. We will be studying God's grand, legendary tale of the redemption and salvation of all mankind. Joseph pops onto the scene in Genesis 37 to fulfill his role. Verse 2 says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Now we know, right, it's, it's, it's obvious that God has been working on Joseph for 17 years. It's not like God just ignored Joseph and then bam, at 17 he pops onto the scene, right? We all agree to that, right? Because God is always working in our lives, but God doesn't tell us anything about what he was doing in his life, except back earlier in earlier chapters that he was born. But we don't know anything about what God was doing in Joseph for 17 years. Now next week we're going to explore some of that, but here in chapter 13, or chapter 37, Joseph explodes onto the scene, and he explodes onto the canvas of God's legendary tale of all that he's doing in the world, and he begins at 17 now to set him on a path to accomplish all that God had planned for him. And it's very important to understand that at one point or another, we all explode onto the scene of God's great legendary tale to accomplish the things God has in store for us to accomplish. 
And what we're going to see as we begin and dive into it next week, we're going to see that God plants a vision in Joseph's heart of his future exaltation and how God is going to use Joseph to do great things. But Joseph isn't going to realize any of that vision for 13 years. He gets this dream, kind of like how we've had dreams when we were young. And we think about dreams of the future and what we want it to be, but God actually plants a dream and a vision in his life that is prophetic, that is actually going to come to pass. And he thinks, awesome, I'm 17 years old, I'm going to be great for God, I'm going to do great things for God, not knowing, because he doesn't know, he can't know, that he's not going to realize any of it for 13 years. And he's not going to realize any of it until he experiences human, deep-seated human hatred. He's going to experience mistreatment and abuse at the hands of those that he loves and that he thinks loves him. He's going to experience unbearable temptation, false accusation, imprisonment, and betrayal. And on top of all that, all of the emotional baggage that comes with all of those kinds of life circumstances... At age 17, he, God puts him on a path to fulfill a purpose that he had planned for Joseph before he was even born. In fact, the scripture says before the foundation of the world. But Joseph was going to be totally clueless of what was up ahead for him. He just knows he has a dream and it's going to be awesome, but he doesn't even know the path that he's going to have to take. He couldn't know what we only know because we get to read ahead on the story, all that was coming his way and what he would have to endure in order to fulfill the part in God's great and legendary story. He had to go through the things that he went through and the pain. And my friends, I want you to know that's true of us today. And we need to have get a hold of this and we're going to tag along as Joseph grows through all of the terrible, painful circumstances and grows into a man who understands that God is sovereign in his life, which means God is in total control and had allowed all of these things to happen in order to mold him and make him and build him into the person that he needs him to be so that he can fulfill the things he has planned for him down the road. We just came through a relational, emotional rehab series, right? And we're working on all these things. And we, we resurrected a lot of things that happen, have happened in our lives. And there are painful things that we're having to deal with. And now we get to jump in and see how all of those things God allows. He doesn't cause evil to happen. God, that's, that's against his nature. He would never allow that. But he allowed, or he would never make that happen. But he allows those things to happen. And his plan is to mold them and shape us with those things and those circumstances in order to accomplish what he has in store for us. And he has planned for us to accomplish the plans he has for his great story. And we're going to work on that as we tag along in Joseph's story. And we know that Joseph grows into a knowledge of the sovereignty of God and understanding that God is in control because in Genesis 45, you might want to jump over there a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 45. In verse 5, he says to him, and if you don't know the story, just be patient with us today. You'll get to know the story. But um, his brothers sell him into slavery because they hate him. 
and he gets delivered and now he is exalted the way that God says and his, when he looks back and he reveals himself to his brothers as to who his true identity, his brothers are afraid, the scripture tells us. And this is what he says to him in verse 5. Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into slavery, for selling me to this place in Egypt. And here's why. This is the perspective he had on this horrible thing that happened to him. Remember, he's thrown into a pit and then sold. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Jump to verse 7. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Now, it takes some growing up and it takes some growing through the valleys of your life to grow to a point where you understand God's sovereignty and be able to put your life into perspective in this way. That though evil happened in my life and though horrible things have happened, God is at work and God is bringing me through. And he says to his brothers, don't be mad at yourselves for doing this. You guys are rascals. You guys are scoundrels for doing it. But don't be mad at yourselves. Because God was actually working through your wickedness to bring me to a place so that I can bring salvation to you and your families. How awesome is that? What a, what a perspective to come to realize that your story is a small part of a much bigger, grander story that's been going on since the beginning of time and won't end until Jesus comes back to make all things new again. Did you know that Jesus actually understood this concept and actually modeled it for us? Do you want to jump in your Bible to John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 5? Jesus gives us some insight into this whole thing that we're talking about when he says in verse 17 of John chapter 5, My father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. He's speaking of God, his father. And I tell you the truth. Now, let me just stop here and say anytime. This is a lesson in your Bible, okay? Anytime Jesus actually says verily, verily, or truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, that's a time to stop and take notice, okay? Because he's getting ready to tell you something very profound. He says, I tell you the truth. The son, he's talking about himself, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. So what Jesus is explaining to us is God is at work and always has been and is continuing to do work today. And he wants us to join him in his work. In fact, we can't do anything of value, anything for the kingdom, any, anything of righteousness without doing what God wants us to do. And because he loves us, he's going to show us what he wants us to do, and we just have to follow him and do what he shows us to do. And when we do that, we're actually helping him fulfill his purposes here on earth. We get to join him and his invitation to all of us. But Jesus understood. Now, you're listening? Is everybody you, you awake? Take that one sip and then be done because we gotta like, you got to listen to this part. <coughs> Jesus understood. Okay, let me back up. Jesus is God. You know that, right? The Bible says that Jesus is the Word. And the Word was with God from the beginning. And the Word was God. And so Jesus is God. 
And there is this thing that we call the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all co-equal God, but they're a submission to each other. The, the Son is in submission to the Father, and the Spirit is submission to the Son and the Father. And Jesus understood that the story wasn't about him. Jesus understood that the story that he was playing a part in the great, grand, legendary, redemptive tale of God to bring salvation to the world, and he was going to be the instrument that was going to die and then rise again to bring salvation to the entire planet. How awesome is that? That even Jesus understands. He didn't go about going, man, they're doing all this horrible, because they did horrible things to him. They're doing all this nasty stuff to me, and that's not fair. And he understood, this life is not mine. I am just fulfilling the plan that my father is showing me to fulfill. And I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to walk through it for his glory and to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, which is, and I keep saying this, and you're going to hear me say it over and over again, the salvation of all mankind. Lock that in to your brain. I love this quote from John Piper that might help you. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of only three of them. My friends, God is in total control of everything, and therefore he is in control of everything that is happening in your life. Joseph had no clue what was coming his way when he was 17 years old and popped onto the scene of God's redemptive plan. There were 10,000 things or however many things that there were going on in Joseph's life that God was doing a work in him. And he was only aware that I'm going to be great someday. And I have this dream that my parents and my brothers are going to bow down to me. He doesn't know what God is up to in his life. And neither do we. Isaiah 46.10 says, everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. By the way, that's God talking, not some guy who wrote that. Daniel 4.35, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to God. He does all he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Now, let me just tell you, okay, you might have some time along your path, you know, whenever God lets, allows something to happen, you, end up, you stop and you go, what do you mean by doing this? What do you mean by letting this happen? Now, we're human, and so we want to do that, but the reality is no one can say that to God because God knows what he's doing and can never be questioned for what he is doing because he's God. He's God Almighty, and he's in total sovereign control of all things. Can I say this to you, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you in your life? God is sovereign over your life, which means... There is no power in the universe that can stop him from accomplishing all the things he has planned to do in you and through you, through your life. It doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter what kind of evil. It doesn't matter what kind of evil people come into your life and try to distort your life and screw your life up. They cannot stop. They have no power over God's plan that he has for your life. In fact, we're going to see in Joseph's story that even when people do evil things, God turns those things, those evil things around to accomplish the plans he has for you, which is the plans he has for his plan. That should encourage your heart. It encourages mine and strengthens me.
Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. I love that. And let me just say this to you. Bill Hybels, pastor in, uh, in Chicago, is famous for this quote. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. He's called you and the scripture says that he is faithful and will do what he's called you to do. And you can trust it. Let's go back to our Ephesians study. Remember studying Ephesians together? How awesome was it in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that we saw that out of his great love for you and out of his grace and mercy, he called you out from the world and he saved you out of your sin and out of darkness and he enlightened your eyes to see the truth and then he forgave you of your sin and he made you his child and adopted you as a son or a daughter so that you might inherit all the riches of his kingdom in Christ Jesus his son and then verse 10 of chapter 2 he says he fashioned you and he special you're his special his workmanship for the works of righteousness that he has planned long ago well in advance for you to do. But it's not about you. It's not about your story. It's not about my story. It's about God's legendary tale. What he is doing in the world. And it's us being subordinate to that in every aspect of our lives and allowing him to do the work that he has planned to do. Philippians 2.13, I think is going to be on the screen. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And my hope and my dream is that when we get finished with this series, that we will see that our purpose and our usefulness is not limited by me and my weakness and my brokenness and my failures, rather it's unlimited in the potential because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God that is at work in us and through us. And when that happens, we will have a completely different view of ourselves and our circumstances. We will understand that we have been written into God's story and that our own stories represent what I'm going to be calling new characters on the ongoing legendary tale of the redemption and restoration of all that has been lost. We will be filled not with fear and grief and discouragement when things are going wrong and things are going bad. In fact, when things are going wrong in the world around us, but we're going to be filled with boldness because we possess the Holy Spirit of God and we're his children and we know that we're living on purpose for a purpose and that we were created on purpose for a purpose. And so we can walk with our heads high in boldness into our jobs and our families and our sphere of influence, knowing that every place I go, everything I do, every step I take propels the story of salvation and the gospel and launches new characters onto the scene of God's redemptive story. Does that make sense? Here's what I mean by that. I can't wait to get this part, to this part in the story, but Joseph was just a tool that God used to preserve the line of Jesus. And you think, we always think that the story's about us, and Joseph could have had the, the thought that the story was about him, and God was going to do great things, right, through him. And God did do great things with him and through him, but it wasn't about him. It was actually about Judah. Because his brother Judah 
had to survive the famine that was horrible in the land at the time. It was a worldwide famine, and people were dying of starvation. And God actually brought Joseph, at the evil hands of his brothers, by the way, into a position in Egypt to be able to spare the life, he said in Genesis 45, 7, God sent me here to keep you and your families alive. And what he meant by that is the line of Judah, by the way, is the line of the seed of the Messiah. Judah, Jesus came from the line of Judah. And you can read about that in Matthew. But Judah had to come through and be saved and spared. And Joseph's part was to bring a path, to provide a path for Judah who was carrying the seed of the Messiah to pass through and make it all the way generations later for the Messiah, Jesus, to be born, who was going to die at the hand of evil men at the purpose and plan of God in order to deliver a path of salvation and, re, and being, be people being reborn into the world. And Joseph's life was used to bring that path through. Your life is the same way. Some of you just don't realize it yet. And my hope is that at the end of this, you will see that because we are here, my friends, to keep people alive. We are here and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we have a story that God is using. And it's not about us. It's about providing a pathway for people to find salvation in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That speaks of our salvation. So those of us who know Jesus, he visited us like Ephesians we talked about, and he called our name, and he called us to repentance, opened our eyes to see, and he reconciled us, made things right. That was was broken, he restored. And God gave us this task of reconciling people to him. God was in Christ reconciling world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. It's like God saves us, and then he makes us this giant megaphone in the way that we live, and we're now light, and we're supposed to live the light, but our lives are supposed to be screaming out, but our voices are supposed to be screaming out, you can find salvation in Jesus Christ just like I did. And that's what our life is all about. Everything you're going to go through in your life or have gone through in your life is to set you up on a platform to be able to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus for other people. We're going to see that in Joseph's life. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ so that we can help deliver others for Christ. I'm going to show you how this works, okay? Um, you remember what we're in the middle of with helping our brothers and sisters who are suffering in Burkina Faso, Africa. And the suffering is amazing. Amazing is not the right word. The suffering is horrific. Um, They're walking into church services and killing our brothers and sisters over there and they're being martyrs for Jesus just because they will not convert to Islam. And here's here's what's going on. We all agree, horrible, right? Horrible things that are happening. And I'm sure that they have been in times of despair where they've cried out to God and said, God, what do we do? How do we get through this? How do we survive this? That's how I would be. We need help. They're going through that. 
But if they have a perspective that we're going to learn about in Joseph's story here, that the horrible, awful things that we go through are part of a plan to bring salvation through, then they'll be able to stand up underneath the strain of that. So they're praying that God will help. So let me, let me jump over now to the United States of America. And some people, a couple in our church, feel led by the Holy Spirit of God to invite some couples to their house just for fellowship. No agendas, just for fellowship. And so they thought, you know, I think we're going to do this on a regular basis. So they invite a handful of couples. This is their first time to do it. They invite a couple, some handfuls, a handful of couples to come to their house. And Robin and I were invited to that. And so were Bob and Cindy Bosek. And so we're having dinner. And we had a great time. We just sat around the table and told stories. No big agenda. We just told stories. We all told stories about our story, right? Because that's what we tell stories about. We got all done. And um, the host said, you know what? Let's just gather around in the living room and sit down and just see what happens. No agenda. Let's just share and see what happens. Bob Bosek is sitting next to Cindy and he nudges her and he goes, should I release to this group what the Lord's laying on my heart? And she says, well, the, the host said you can, so I guess you can. And so Bob gets up and he says, can I just talk to everybody and tell you what God's laying on my heart? My heart is very broken for these people in Burkina Faso, Africa. Now we're sitting there. I had never heard of Burkina Faso before. And he begins to tell the story of what's happening and the horrible persecution that's going on in the church over there. While he's talking, I actually get to the point where I'm not listening to him anymore because the Holy Spirit's voice is so strong in my heart. And the Spirit is leading me and he's saying, Phil, you need to get up on Sunday and you need to ask the church to help. And if you guys remember, those of you who are part of our church, we were in the middle of our season of generosity and we had set aside $62,000 to help all ministries around the world. And I came to the church that day and I said, brothers and sisters, our, our brothers and sisters are suffering. And so anything that comes over and above the offering of the 62,000, we're going to just give to help our brothers and sisters in Africa. You remember that? And um, God laid it, so God lays it on Bob's heart to share it in, in a meeting. And then, well, first of all, the couple God lays it on the couple's heart to ask some people, random people, to come to dinner. And then we're sitting at dinner, and it lays on Bob's heart to share the story. And then the Holy Spirit lays it on my heart to share with the congregation. And the congregation responds by giving $69,000 over our $62,000 offering to give to our brothers and sisters over there. Hallelujah for that. How awesome is that? I mean, we were like, yes, that is so awesome that God is doing this. They're going to be so blessed over there. But it's not about their story. And it's not about our story. And we responded to the Holy Spirit of God. And wonderful thing happened. And so now we have money to like put together um, a package to send over them, to, over to them, a 40,000 ton you know, container package to send of them for, for relief. And we actually uh, bring that together and we're putting all that together. And some guy named William just so happens to draw the the, the, the short straw maybe, and he has to drive the truck over from Chicago over to South Bend to get the truck loaded that's going to carry all these supplies and this blessing to our Burkina Faso brothers and sisters. While he's waiting for his truck to be loaded, Bob, who by the way, Bob is, that's his ministry, he connects people in the shipping um, department and, and helps bring aid over to people through his paracletos ministry. 
He's standing there saying, you know, this guy really needs to know the cargo that he has. He needs to know that what he's carrying is precious to help bring help to God's people over in Africa. And this is miraculous that Jesus is doing this miraculous thing through his church. He needs to know that that's what he's doing. And by the way, he needs to know about the life that he could have in Jesus Christ. And so he spends some time talking to William. And he tells William about Jesus. And William opens up his heart and he says, you know what, I got some issues in my family. And we need some help in my family. And they exchange addresses and all that kind of thing and, and exchange phone numbers and all that in hopes that someday they can continue the conversation about Jesus. And then the container gets blocked. Remember, it can't go because the Indians are on the tracks in, in Canada, and so it can't go, and so it's delayed. And because it's delayed, Bob actually gets reconnected with William, who now, could, could be, by the way, our container's on the way now, and it's, it's on the ship going over to Africa to bring the relief. But Bob actually gets reconnected with William, and at that reconnection, William gives his heart to Jesus, and he gets saved. Now, I can tell all of you online are just jumping up in your houses and freaking out right now because that is miraculous. And what I want you to hear and what I want you to understand is that our brothers and sisters are suffering, and it's a horrible thing that they're suffering over in Africa, but this, their suffering and their story has led to a domino effect of things happening that has brought salvation to the household of William. And who knows that William might not be, his whole household might come to Jesus because of this connection thing that's going. Do you understand, my friends, that your story is just this piece in God's great story of the salvation of all mankind? And whatever you're going through is a part of how God's using to deliver his message of salvation to people in the way that you're handling your situation. And you can have that kind of perspective with all the circumstances of your life because God is at work in you to do awesome things. The story of the gospel as we take it out is actually, and now William now has exploded onto the scene of God's great legendary tale. And now God is going to use William the way that he has planned. And who knows what that means? We don't know. Let me ask you a question. Any of you know who led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ? Does anybody know? You know? A janitor. Led D.L. Moody to Jesus Christ. One of the greatest preachers and pastors of all our time. Who founded Moody Bible Institute. Who, by the way, for decades has been training men and women to go out and pastor churches and be missionaries. And salvation has come to thousands and thousands of people through the life of D.L. Moody. Who a janitor, we don't know his name. Do you know his name? We don't know his name. Led him to Jesus Christ. That janitor story existed to bring D.L. Moody through and explode him onto the scene as a new character on the scene of God's legendary tale. Anybody know who led Spurgeon? Do you know who led Spurgeon to Christ? <laughs> Anybody know who led Charles Spurgeon to Christ, the great preacher, the great evangelist, Charles Spurgeon, who thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ through him. Let me ask you this. Anybody know who led Billy Graham to Jesus Christ? It's silent. Think about the person whose story was put together 
to deliver salvation to the life of Billy Graham, who tens, hundreds of thousands of people have given their heart to Jesus through the ministry of Billy Graham. Want to hear something else crazy? This is New Testament. Let's forget the present time. Let's talk about New Testament. You know Simon? Remember Simon, who Jesus later named Peter? Did you know that Jesus didn't go tap Simon on the shoulder? How did Simon come to Jesus? His brother brought him. Andrew, his brother, went and said, you got to come see this Jesus guy. Just come and see all the things that he's about and all the things that he's doing. And bam, salvation through Andrew's life is brought into Simon's life, who Jesus later names Peter, who is the foundation of the church and starts to build the church. And thousands of people at one time come to Jesus through the preaching of Peter. What more do you know about Andrew other than Andrew brought Simon? There's not a whole lot about Andrew's life. But the purpose that God had for Andrew was to deliver Simon Peter onto the scene of God's redemptive story to bring salvation to thousands. My friends, do you understand your place? Do you understand that you're part of this great story God delivered us and has a plan for us. This is the simple truth, to deliver salvation to others. Our life becomes a path to deliver salvation for many, just like Joseph was with his family. That's what I want you to hear, and that's what I want you to see as we go through all the different things and learn all these things in Joseph's life, that God has a plan for you. You're not just going through your life, but the story is not about you. It's about what he's doing in you and through you for his glory to bring people to Jesus. I started with Frodo and Sam, so I'm going to end with Frodo and Sam. You okay with that? Some of you are going to email me and say, really, more Lord of the Rings? Yes, more Lord of the Rings. And the Hobbit. Because Bilbo Baggins is the old hobbit in the Lord of the Rings, right? And Bilbo Baggins plays a major part in all of this, and he writes a book called There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Tale. And when he comes to the end of his part in the tale, he hands it to Frodo. And he says to Frodo, now it's time for you. And Frodo writes in continuation of the story called The Lord of the Rings by Frodo Baggins. But when Frodo gets done, he hands it to Sam, and this is what he says, Sam, I have finished my part. The last pages are for you. My friends, the point is of all of this that we're going to be seeing in this next several weeks as we work on the story of Joseph is that each one of us is part of this great plan, this great story, a legendary tale of the salvation of mankind and we're doing our part and then passing it on to the next person and then passing it on to the next person. But it's important to know that each one of us is playing a vital role, a vital role. And you might say, my life is worthless. My life is nothing. You don't understand what I have been through. You don't understand the things that I have done. It doesn't matter. The scriptures are filled with pages of stories of people whose life were screwed up and messed up. 
but they surrendered themselves to the Lord and God used them in powerful ways. And if the scriptures were continuing to be written today, there would be story after story after story of people whose lives are totally upside down and totally messed up and full of sin and full of discouragement and full of disappointment and full of failure. And yet God says, if you'll just let me have your life, if you'll just let me use you, I'll do great things with your life to accomplish my will on earth. Can I say one more thing as we close this? My friends, some of you who are listening right now and watching right now, it's because God, you're, the only reason you're listening to this message right now is because he wants to speak into your heart and into your life. And some of you, he wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring a rebirth into your life. Some of you listening are like, I really need some help. I really need a miracle in my life. Some of you really need a resurrection. You need new life. And Jesus says that if you listen to my voice and you'll come to me, I will bring you new life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the Bible says. Jesus says that of himself. And if you want to come to the Father, you can get there through me. And I just want you to know that if you're sitting there and you don't have a full assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ today, you're supposed to listen to this story and you're supposed to listen to this message and you're supposed to hear that you can have salvation today. When I was 14 years old, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and I got on my knees before God and I just prayed a prayer simply like this that said, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm in desperate need of salvation. And I thank you that you love me enough that while I'm still sinning, because the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I thank you that you died for me and made a way of salvation. And I want to believe in you today. And I want to confess my sin to you today. And I want to accept your gift of salvation. My friends, the Bible says that if you'll confess your mouth with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. All it takes is repentance and faith. And his grace comes pouring into your life and brings new life to you. You can have salvation today by simply praying for it. You can get wherever you are right now. You can get on your knees before a holy God and say, I want to be exploded as a character onto the canvas of your big plan, God. And I want that today. I want salvation for me and my family today. If you hear his voice today, the scripture says, do not harden your heart. He's speaking to you and he wants you to be saved. And I would ask you, give your heart to Jesus today. For the rest of us, we're going to change our perspective on our lives to see that God's doing powerful things in us so that he could do powerful things through us. This thing that we've got going on, this coronavirus is bringing a scare and a panic and hysteria like I've never seen before in my life. I want you to know, my friends, those of us who know Jesus, this is not a time for us to shrink back. It's a time for the church of Jesus Christ to step into it and to take a giant leap forward because we have hope to share. We have stories to tell that bring truth and hope 
for the future of our nation and for people's futures. And we can step in and serve, and we're looking for ways to do that. I don't know what this is going to turn into. I don't know what, it has, what God has in store for this and how he's planned to use it in our nation and around the world. We've been talking to our missionaries. We've got missionaries all over the world. We've got missionaries in Italy that are stuck. They can't get out of Italy. They can't come home if they want to. And we're talking to them and saying, realize this is an opportunity for you, for the church of Jesus Christ to step up and bring hope. I want you to ask God to give you, the Holy Spirit, to give you some ideas for the way the church can rise up and be a help. I want you to think about how you can be a help. You've got neighbors. You've got relatives. You've got elderly in your, in your neighborhood that you work with that you can help. Now's the time to step into it and step up and help people. I want you to know that as a church, we're going to be looking to the elderly in our church because it's not wise for them to be out and about and doing things. We're going to try to help. How, do we, how can we provide groceries for them? How can we take care of them? And we're going to be looking into that. I know Lifeline is doing some awesome things. The schools are closing and there are kids in Elkhart all over the area that rely on school to, to eat. And so we're going to be jumping in with Lifeline and helping. I guess Lifeline, I think, is coming to our church Tuesday in order to make a big meal. And if you want to get involved in that, you just need to call the church and let us know. We're going to be open, by the way, all week long. So whatever needs you have, um, you can just call in. If you've got ideas about how we can help in the community, if you're connected somehow in the Holy Spirit, lays it on your heart, call it in, and, and let's see what we can do in order to bring help and hope to our world in the middle of this crisis. It is definitely a crisis. <clears throat> but let's see it as an opportunity because we're part and we play a little part between the eternities of God's eternal plan for mankind. How awesome is that? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your sovereign control and hand in our lives. And we just want to surrender that to you. We want to give that to you and tell you that we are yours. And we want to be like Jesus and follow his example that we will do whatever you call us to do. And we'll step into it with boldness and we'll step into it with grace and we'll step into it with strength. Knowing that you got it under control and you're going to use it, good or bad, for your glory. I pray that uh, you'll give real strength and wisdom to our leadership. I can't imagine being the president of a nation or the vice president of a nation or a governor of a state. Um, Lord, there are, there are some men and women that are in charge. They're, they've been put in places of leadership, and I pray that you'll give them incredible wisdom and strength and boldness as they make decisions for our entire nation and for all those people in governments around the world that are having to deal with this. In some crazy way, this is bringing the whole world together in a time when we're so separated. So I pray that you'll just continue to bind our hearts together but more than anything, I pray that you will raise the church up, your church up, and that we will, have a, we will play a massive role to bring help and hope in the midst of this crisis. We pray for those who are sick, that you'll strengthen them and that you'll heal them. We pray for those who are anxious and, and nervous and panicked, that you'll bring calm to their hearts. 
Use us to bring that into their lives, we pray. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.